I'm your host, Alexander Hefner, and you're listening to the audio podcast of The Open Mind. I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. When Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did the improbable and defeated an incumbent party leader and possible successor to the next Speaker of the House, it was because of a new movement of dedicated Democratic Party activists. They call themselves the Justice Democrats. Their mandate, it's time to usher in a new generation of diverse, working-class leaders into the Democratic Party, a party that fights for its voters, not corporate donors. Its platform emphasizes popular initiatives that Senator Sanders championed during the 16 campaign, ones increasingly adopted across the party today. A Green New Deal, a living wage, Medicare for all, free college tuition, criminal justice reform, immigrant rights, and a ban on corporate PAC money. Representative Ocasio-Cortez, alongside three other newly elected House Justice Democrats, are already influencing the trajectory of House leadership, including a proposal for a Green New Deal Select Committee. Joining me to discuss is Justice Democrats Executive Director Alexandra Rojas, a millennial grassroots organizer who's leading this movement. Welcome, Alexandra. Thank you so much for having me on. When you and your co-founders branded your movement, Justice Democrats, in Tennessee, where you're headquartered, what were you thinking? What was the grounding of justice? We want to be a different breed of Democrat. Yeah, I think what we what we've seen over the past 40 years, right, with wages being stagnant, um, <clears throat> what we've seen over the past decade with Democratic leadership, um, we've seen uh, not just the, the presidency um, <clears throat> and uh, the Congress, but uh, throughout every down ballot race across the country, we've seen dem- Democrats lose seats. Uh, and we feel that uh, there's been a failure on both sides, a sort of bipartisan establishment to actually be leading the agenda uh, with policies that are going to directly benefit the working class people that, that make up the United States. And so when we think about uh, the Democratic Party, we understand uh, that we live in a two-party system and that this is going to be our best vehicle to actually uh, create the change that we want to see, uh, that we need in the sense of urgency that it is. And uh, justice being something that we've, we haven't really gotten right for every person in this country. And we want Democrats that, that stand for that um, and also are attached to all of those policies that you just laid out, especially making sure that they accept no corporate PAC or corporate lobbyist money. So I think the term justice Democrats really comes from the idea uh, that we haven't fully achieved that. We want Democrats that are mission-driven and focused on um, you know, transforming the Democratic Party to lead with justice. And your first mandate or mission right out of the gate is a green New Deal, um, green jobs, environmental stewardship, the livelihood and security of the planet. Um, and I understand using that as an opportunity to increase wages and build infrastructure that's going to sustain um, our communities. How can this progress in a way um, in, in, a, in an environment now with one chamber in control of, by the Democrats, one chamber 
by the Republicans. H how do you envision working these next two years on that issue? Absolutely. So we've teamed up with the Sunrise Movement and Alexandria, Justice Democrat Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to push for a select committee uh, to draft the plan for a Green New Deal. So we understand the political climate that Republicans aren't going to budge on this um, and that we only control one chamber. But what we're saying is that uh, there's a lot of committees that are working on this right now, but there's not one that is coming up with that comprehensive plan that addresses the scale and the urgency of the what we believe the existential threat face, facing our nation. Um, and so... Uh, if you look at what we're pushing for, is that because we control this chamber, we have the time to actually create this plan, right? Draft it so that assuming that we take back the Senate and the White House in 2020, we're actually prepared and have a plan ready to go um, to, to pass a Green New Deal. And I think the reason why we're, we're calling it that, and I think why we, we've come right out of the gate, so to speak, is because... I think we have a chance to be a democratic party that inspires the nation again. You know, we're the ones that, uh, you know, had uh, leaders in our party uh, fight for electrifying uh, the highways in the United States. We, you know, put someone on the moon. Uh, we did those things, and I think Americans are really hungry for uh, solutions as radical as the problems that we face. And truly credible and authentic leadership to deliver that message. And folks like Bernie, folks like Alexandria, I think are the perfect deliverers of this message. And uh, we want to make sure that going into 2020, this is at the forefront of the Democratic agenda um, and for the 2020 presidential candidates that we're going to run. And it's totally a litmus test that uh, Justice Democrats will be running on. You have an opportunity on an issue where the president, President Trump, has to be accountable because he promised the nation, yeah. which he said was plagued by third world infrastructure, uh, to, he, he promised revitalization. If you wrap, as I think you want to do, the New Deal, the Green New Deal in a commitment to infrastructure and jobs, then you, you might get some Republican support too. I think that's right. I mean, the thing that comes to mind uh, that always sticks out to me for some reason. I don't know if you remember, but when Trump was running for president, he stood behind a, a big garbage facility out in Pennsylvania, and he talked about building factories and bringing back industrialization here in the United States, and we're going to create millions of jobs, right? And uh, people were fired up by that. I think what's what's unique about the Green New Deal is that we're taking a very intersectional approach that I think actually captures the the human aspect of it it's not just sort of like climate wonky but it's talking about what you said i think which is we need massive investments in infrastructure when we think about the level of work it's going to take to retrofit weatherized buildings to just you know uh take out all of the the pipes <laughs> and uh, rebuild our roads and bridges to get to where they need to be we can do that with a renewable energy angle and i think that it's, it's very apparent already that our economy is already transitioning that way. It's not, a, it's not a surprise. And I think Republicans and just, again, like everyday American people can get behind the idea of actually mobilizing um, our nation around a unified purpose uh, that creates millions of jobs in the same way that we addressed uh, our existential threats during World War II. And acknowledging the dignity of work and the dignity that those who were seeking 
to revitalize our infrastructure deserve. Um, one of your party planks, the Democrats who are newly elected as justice Democrats, support health care for all, whether it's Medicare or universal health care, some combination. But to me, this is no um, more radical um, or no, it's not new school. It's something Harry Truman supported. Yep. Do you have conviction in this party and its history that, you know, that's how you can ground your arguments and logic and uh, persuasion campaign, not um, something that is really extraneous to, and not innate to our history, which, which is socialism? Um, are you, and you think Representative Ocasio-Cortez, prepared to make that commitment to the Democratic Party? Yeah, I think we're already doing it. I think everything that we're doing is about transforming the Democratic Party to actually be one that stands for the the, the base of voters that it supports, right? That's women, uh, that's uh, especially black women, that's working people of all backgrounds and people of color, uh, and now millennials just like myself. Um, I think everything that we're doing is uh, to actually, again, create a democratic party that can inspire the nation. Um, and like you said, there's historical precedents for all of the uh, solutions that we're putting forth. We don't believe that it's uh, socialist or democratic or put in any labels on it. I think this is just common sense, right? When we think about the existential threats facing our nation, uh, like climate change, I think like our health care crisis, like uh, the stagnation of, of uh, hourly wages in our economy, uh, I think we have to address those with solutions uh, as big as those problems are. And I think what we're putting forward is just very, very common sense when you look at the, the scale of the crises that we're facing and the historical precedence of uh, you know, past presidents that come from the Democratic Party. Do you think that if Governor Bredesen in Tennessee had embraced this generation of Democrats um, and not appealed to a constituency that he thinks the old Tennessee and maybe the older De Tennessee Democrats um, Maybe those older Tennessee Democrats wanted to hear your call to invoke Truman and Roosevelt and Johnson and, and not believe that his, his saying he would have voted for Kavanaugh would be a badge of honor to Tennessee voters. Having been based in Tennessee in these last years, do you think that if he had not run to the right as he did uh, to curry favor with people he thought would be his natural constituency, the crossover voter, the independent voter, that he might have actually had a better shot at winning that election? Absolutely. I, I think that 100%. Uh, my uh, good friend and uh, colleague, uh, who's also a board member, Corbin Trent, is born and raised from, from Tennessee, and we met on the, on the Bernie campaign. And uh, his background comes from, you know, his family, like literally when we had terrible trade deals like NAFTA come through and just wipe out uh, industry comes from one of those towns where uh, there were factories. His family actually owned a, a furniture manufacturing facility. And uh, over time, right, we've seen those completely get wiped out in places like the South and the Midwest. And people are extremely receptive to when you talk about, uh, especially in the context of a Green New Deal, people want to work. 
um, people are, are ready to get to work. And it's a shame that we as a nation uh, aren't able to, to provide high, uh, high wage, I think, but industrial sort of jobs. And we have a ton, a ton of work to do. And so I think this message really resonates. And it's proven when you look at, um, like, Bredesen lost, Heidkamp lost, Donnelly lost, kind of seeding into the rights agenda. But when you see, play, you know, candidates like Stacey Abrams, Beto O'Rourke, Andrew Gillum in places that are historically purple or flat out red, we've seen massive gains for the progressive movement. And they're not, you know, Beto was not talking about uh, anything really light. He was calling for things that are pretty radical for the state, in of, his first for the state of Texas. Exactly. Against Ted Cruz, he invoked Truman, as you're yep. now invoking Truman and Roosevelt. Yeah, um, it's in, it's inspiring. And I think that we can be a Democratic Party that doesn't always have to play defense. I think we can go on the offense and actually paint a picture of what an America could look like uh, if we believed in the, human, the, the best resource we have, which is the human capital. Speaker Pelosi, mm-hmm. she may be speaker at the time this airs, she hasn't marginalized justice Democrats or the values that you've espoused here. Now, if you look at the other chamber, the Senate, uh, Senator Schumer has marginalized those values in the way he's operated um, and the way he's led the party. What next for Senate Democrats? The justice campaign can't just operate in one chamber, can it? Yeah, I mean, I think that we're going to be really focused on building sort of our team in the House just because we have Alexandria there, we have Ilhan, we have Ayana, and uh, as most people can see, right, uh, prior to this, our Congress is currently made up of uh, majority uh, men, majority white, majority millionaire. And it's really difficult when the first thing that you walk into the door is, uh, hey, can you can you spend four or five hours a day fundraising for us? We need more people uh, alongside them to really build a sort of mission driven team in the House to be able to, uh, you know, push the legislation that we want to see. Right. So I think that's going to be a huge focus for us. And then specifically for Senate, uh, we're going to kind of keep an eye out of what seats um, make the most sense for us. But it's definitely not something that we're ignoring, but also know the enormous amount of resources that it takes just for even one House race. So your game plan now is to assess within the House the Democrats who are genuinely committed to this justice reform agenda. And if they are, I imagine you and Representative uh, Ocasio-Cortez will endorse them, will champion them. But there may be Democrats who are not willing to accept this mantle of the next generation of New Deal politics. And your mission in 2020, I presume, would be to elect Democrats who are committed to those values. Yeah, I think a huge part of our strategy is primarying Democrats that should not be in there. And I but think you're going to assess it over the next year and then sort of determine who's on that map? Yeah, we're doing that work right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been setting up a sort of prioritization of districts using a number of different predictors. I think in 2018, we learned what districts we perform really well in. Um, and so in the case of and, and I think also one of the biggest lessons learned is that one race can change everything. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's race, I think, shifted the Overton window in people's minds of what's possible politically, uh, especially when it comes to primary challenges within our own party and actually having uh, 
a robust conversation about what the agenda should be. And so the reason why we're talking about a Green New Deal is because we primaried a Democrat that was accepting millions of dollars from Wall Street who wasn't super ideologically driven and had a conversation with the people in that district. And I'd say I'd argue the the country um, about what solutions are going to be best for the American people. Uh, So that's absolutely going to be our strategy to double down in 2020. And my only bone to pick with you in your vocabulary as you espouse these positions is this notion of free college or free health care, uh, free tuition. It's antithetical to the system that we have. We have a capitalism system. It's corrupt. It's crony. It's, um, I like to say, it's a cannibalistic capitalism that e- it's eating alive America right now. Mm-hmm. That's something Senator Sanders has acknowledged Senator Brown, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, have, they've, they're really the stalwarts of that, those values in the Senate. I think that um, Brown may acknowledge something that Sanders does, and I want to know if you do, too, which is that you know, these things cost money. So if you are going to um, want to provide um, basic human dignity to every citizen, then you're going to have to increase taxes for the very wealthy, um, which we know is not what what's out there now, um, and increase taxes, roll back the, the tax cuts on corporations. Uh, but even then, there's a cost to doing business. So I'm wondering, is it most compelling to make the case for free this or that when we know our very core is capitalistic? Now, should it be a compassionate capitalism? Yes. Um, but is it is it most compelling to argue for free this and free that, or maybe do it a different way? Um, I think the language that we use on our website, specifically for something like college, and we say the same thing about trade school, right? Uh-huh. I think it's tuition-free uh, education at all public colleges, universities, and trade schools, because uh, it, it, it's, I think in and of itself, that's not a radical concept. Mm-hmm. I think providing health care to every single American not just as a right, but to take the burden off of small businesses who shouldn't be in the business of healthcare, they should be in the business of innovation, right, right? is common sense. And when we talk about how to pay for these things, I think you named, um, you know, some, uh, some of the tools in our, in our toolbox, but I think there's also a question of what are our priorities as a nation, right? What do we currently pay for um, that uh, we, we can shift, right? And also acknowledging that we have the power of the purse to be able to do a lot of these things. And everything that we've done in our past, whether that's deciding to make universal high school education a thing, uh, make, you know, build an interstate highway system, uh, and you know, do things like the GI Bill like we did back then, those were decisions that we made as a government, as a nation, that that is going to benefit uh, are the, the people of our country. And I think when we talk about uh, universal education, it's an investment in our economy. It's an investment in the health and well-being of our citizens. And it provides equity and the opportunity for uh, all people here. So I, I understand the sort of question of how do you pay for it? Because that's the one that I ask myself every day. That's the one that you ask right. yourself every day. But at the end of the day, I think that we do have to have a discussion about what do we prioritize as a nation what do we think is important and i think education healthcare having a living wage have, being able to to be have an opportunity to uh work uh 
indignity is absolutely something that we should be putting at the forefront of this conversation. I think living wage makes sense. I think universal education, healthcare, opportunity, equity, I think that language makes sense. And, and I hear what you're saying. Tuition free may be a more compelling way to uh, describe it than free education. I was in Wyoming mm-hmm. not so long ago and had a conversation with a former state legislator. Mm-hmm. And he, like I think a lot of folks in Red America, or what we might perceive to be Red America, they're receptive yeah. to the idea of universal health care or high-quality, affordable care. Uh, the one, the one uh, requirement in their mind is that the, the folks who are the recipients of this, of this care mm. are contributing to the country in some way. And there's been a long-standing battle here really emanating out of Medicare and Social Security and not wanting to see those programs only cater to people um, who had means um, or had had a livelihood. So I understand the, the concern about work requirement. But one way that you all might have some Republican or conservatives, traditional Republican or conservatives, listen to this argument is if you say, you know, what if we just required folks to demonstrate they want to take care of this country, you know, they, whether it's in a Green New Deal or in private enterprise. And if you work part-time or full-time um, and you don't have a disability and you're not over the, older than a certain age, mm-hmm. uh, why is that not a reasonable expectation from our society to, to echo Kennedy, you know, what you're doing for your country? And so maybe you all can get together with Democrats and Republicans and um, makes, like you said, healthcare shouldn't be incentivized by profit. Make sense out of the healthcare situation and emphasize dignity of life and that folks don't want a free ride. They want to work, but they want to have high quality care and they want it to be equitable. Could that make sense? Yeah, I, I think, again, that this sort of comes back to, I think, sort of common sense solutions that I think on the right and the left can both get behind. Uh, and, you know, for us, I think it, it's important that uh, we're just presenting that at face value and we're not trying to pander to any side. I think kind of putting it out in the way that I'm trying to talk about it right now is really focusing in on that. Um, and I think it's an absolute tragedy in, in this country that there are people who want to work that can't find work. Um, and I think that is something that um, I think the, is unifying on, on both sides. Uh, and I think the way that we talk about it needs to be, to your point, I think centering the human aspect of it and that everybody um, wants to feel like they can contribute uh, to this country and be proud of the work that they're doing. Also, there's this misguided, misinformed idea that everything's hunky-dory because the Bureau of Labor Statistics publishes the unemployment yep. rate and that it's at a record low. And that's not indicative of actually the condition of the working family or the American family. Uh, and that was salient to Sanders and Trump's primary victories. 
Yeah, no, that I think that's absolutely right. And I think a lot of the numbers that we pay attention and the unemployment statistics at the Dow, all, all of those sort of things don't actually look at the real economy. And I think that every, that, that people are uh, participating in and accounting for all of the people that had been looking for work, but gave up in actually searching for it. Um, so we have a real crisis. And then I, I always reference this wage, but like over the past 40 years, we've just seen wages completely stag- stagnate and not actually grow in a massive consolidation of, of wealth, right? Um, and money coming out of our GDP going to the top 1% and not flowing back in. So we can pretend like things are absolutely okay, uh, but I think when Bernie, to your point, when Bernie, when Trump talked about on the uh, campaign trail that we're not, and we keep having leaders saying, no, it's, it's okay, uh, that's infuriating. It was infuriating to me watching it. Like, how can you say that, you know, we're doing okay as a country when my family's struggling to just get by? And that's the story of, I think, millions of people uh, in Tennessee, uh, where I currently live right now, and across the country, um, not just the coasts. Public-private partnerships don't seem to be doing the trick. You know, that's, you hear that from a lot of politicians, that that's the agenda. The Green New Deal... How is that going to be different in the seconds we have left? How is that going to be different from the status quo of infrastructure and development in this country? I think what we're calling for is a mobilization of our economy, of our society, on the scale that we haven't seen since World War II. Um, And I think that's going to require, and the reason why we're starting the conversation now, an immense amount of planning because we have to acknowledge that there are... uh, industries that currently exist, especially the fossil fuel industry, right, that uh, house millions of workers, and we're going to need to figure out a solution of what to do all those people and revert their uh, capacity to work to to other ways. And I think those um, businesses that currently exist, we can't just forget about. So for us, the public-private partnership, uh, I know that it's, it's hasn't necessarily worked in the past, but it's something that we have to acknowledge as part of this transition. Right. Well, we haven't seen a mobilization like the New Deal. We have not. So maybe it rests more in the public trust than the private trust. I think that's absolutely right. Alexandra, thank you for your time today. And thanks to you in the audience. I hope you join us again next time for a thoughtful excursion into the world of ideas. Until then, keep an open mind. Please visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash openmind to view this program online or to access over 1,500 other interviews. And do check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Open Mind TV for updates on future programming. I'm your host, Alexander Hefner, and you're listening to the audio podcast of The Open Mind.